Welcome to Triumph and Disaster, a show dedicated to manly creativity and culture. Brought to you by your host, Cameron McHarg. Hey guys, this is Cameron McHarg, and this is the first episode of Triumph and Disaster, and I'm really excited about it. We have Scottish actor and writer Brian Larkin on, and Brian was in town for the premiere of London Has Fallen. He had kind of a busy schedule, so he was actually um, in a suit. Uh, he was just gotten off of the studio from CBS next to The Grove, which is where we actually recorded this thing. And if you're not familiar with The Grove in Los Angeles, it's just like a huge outdoor shopping center. So this is not the typical way we're going to be doing podcasts here. We were actually walking around with microphones around The Grove and almost got arrested by guys in Smokey the Bear hats and accosted. So we were basically walking around the parking lot of The Grove for the first half of this this podcast. And it's not bad. It's actually pretty cleaned up. You might you might hear a little bit of background noise once in a while. You might hear a car passing by or something like that or a, some, a family walking by or something. But it's actually pretty clear. But just so you have a heads up, this is probably the only one that's going to be done outside. Most of them are going to be in a studio situation and will sound a little better than this. Um, Brian, he was, uh, he was a really good guy. Really, really sharp guy. Private guy. And I respect that. You'll get a little bit of that, but he um, he also really opened up in this, and it was a really good conversation. So uh, I'm excited about it. I'm looking forward to it. Hope you enjoy. Here's Triumph and Disaster. So we're good to go. <laughs> okay, we're good to go. We've been almost evacuated from the Grove. That's a good way to start, Cam, isn't it? California. Brian is dressed like one of the fucking reservoir dogs right now. And we're walking around with a couple microphones. We got pulled over by the police. Actually. So this is my, this is the episode one. This is the first podcast. And that's how it started. So we're walking around the Grove, around the Grove and around the park. Watch as a car coming, Cam. What's it Struck down in the street. Right. So, um, yeah, we're just going to have a little talk here. Uh, Brian uh, was just talking about, how, so just to give a little backstory, you want to tell us a little bit about uh, why you're here? What's up? Okay, um, I'm I'm in town for a couple of weeks for uh, a movie that just opened on Friday called London Has Fallen, and I play Lieutenant Will Davies, who's the leader of the Captain 2-2 of the British SAS, who attempts to help Gerard Butler, the wonderful Mike Banning, uh, reprise his role and attempt to save the president. So I've been in town for about a week now. We had the premiere last week. And it's just been a whirlwind. It's been fantastic. We had a really good premiere, and it's doing really well in the box office. So, so we met a few days. We went and had beers at, uh, at Barney's Greenery a few days before the, the premiere. So what? I haven't talked to you since. No. We've been kind of shooting through a little bit, trying to get this thing fucked up. <laughs> Where are we going? This <laughs> <laughs> is great. It keeps it loose. It keeps us free as long as we don't get arrested. <laughs> right, carry on. So, yeah, so, um, so I haven't seen you since. I guess we'll do laps. We'll do like yeah. laps around Okay, we'll go anti-clockwise towards the arrows. Um, right. <laughs> and in the other side of the road. It was Oscar night, actually, wasn't it? It was Oscar. It was. It was Oscar night. That's right. Um, Okay, well, I, um, do you know, it's, it's crazy. I've lost track of the days right now. It's just been one thing after the other. The, uh, the premiere was fantastic. I got to meet some of my heroes and, uh, I turned up in my kilt 
national dress. Yeah, yeah, I had the kilt. And no, no, it was a dress kilt. They're very different from your traditional tartan kilts. It was like a dress kilt, um, which was loaned to me by a very good friend back in Scotland. So I live in London at the moment. I'm Scottish, but I live in London. I had to travel all the way up to Scotland to get like this one and only, it's only a one-off type kilt. So I had to go up to Scotland, pick the kilt up, and then fly back down to London, then fly straight out to Los Angeles the next day. And <laughs> you've got to make the, you've got to make an effort. You've got to make an effort. But it's just been it's been crazy, Cam. Um, I think I was only two days in town before I met you, and uh, we had the premiere. Morgan Freeman was there. The whole cast were there, and uh, we did the red carpet. And then they uh, they brought us down to the stage, and I walked in and I saw. Well, there's a little kind of black curtain towards the side of the theatre just off to the side where they keep all the cast before they bring you onto the stage and introduce you and I walked straight into Morgan Freeman who was backlit against this tiny little light and it looked like God I'm not joking it was like it sounds like a cliche but all it he just he had his arms behind his back and he stood like God and there's this little kind of backlight at him and I looked straight at him and I was like oh my god that's Morgan Freeman okay compose yourself compose yourself and he says uh, I'll do my best and my best Morgan Freeman voice do you realise that's uh, it sounds as if he's from Texas already. Do you realise that's a hula skirt you got on there, son? It's <laughs> <laughs> like, listen, you shouldn't be afraid of what you see. You should be afraid of what's underneath it. <laughs> so that was my introduction to Morgan Freeman. <laughs> that's so let's backtrack a little bit about to, like, how, what brought you here in the first place. Okay, um, well I've been an actor for 14 years and uh, I was born in Scotland, I grew up in Scotland and I, I was I was ready to be a cop. What part of Scotland? Like, what, what kind of area well, I was born in Glasgow. Okay. So it's kind of a working kind of area? Yeah, it's, um, yeah, pretty much. Uh, I mean, we'll not go into the history of Glasgow, but just from a very small, very humble family, working class background and I was on track to be a cop and then I, I got to meet some people at a local drama workshop one night and they they introduced me to their improvisation class and within two weeks I was up improvising and then a week later I was at drama school and didn't join the police force. No, no, I, I got into acting a little bit later. I was 26 by the time that the, the bug kind of bit me. And then I decided that this is what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. When, when, did, that, when did you decide that? When you did the first class? Or what, do you remember the exact moment when I, you knew that? Do you know, for maybe about some of my early 20s, I was always kind of into doing accents and impersonating people. And By the way, he's been impersonating <laughs> <laughs> No, no, we'll, we'll get when we get to that. <laughs> but um, yeah, and there was, I guess there was an interest there in being an actor. I, I didn't. I mean, at school, I never even considered it because I was quite. No, but it wasn't really that. It was because I, I was very shy. Okay. Uh, I was, uh, you know, I went to a, a public school where it was kind of frowned upon to do anything like dramatic or to be seen sort of being the centre of attention. So I really, yeah, and I, I, I was really bad reader in school, and I hated every Monday morning the school teacher would say in primary school, okay, uh, she would pick a. a one of the pupils from each table around us, and so give us a give us a the lowdown on what happened in the news this week. And I was like eight years old, and I, I felt this. I couldn't. I wasn't comfortable with speaking publicly, 
um, and the teacher kind of picked up on that and I'd used to stammer and stutter through my words so I was always very shy and I was I was bullied in school as well and I know maybe there's a lot of guys out there that can relate to that so I kind of lived quite a sheltered life um, and by the way but I then, want to cut in real quick yep. not everybody knows you yet you're, you know, you're a pretty big dude, and you say you, you're pretty good guys, guys. So you say you bullied in school. So I want you to cut back to what you were talking about a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I... Yeah, well, I think that maybe, you know, it's kind of crossed my mind through the years as the years have gone by that I, I kind of lost myself in individual sports, sports where you're kind of charge of your own sort of development, mm-hmm. like athletics, right. weight training. It, I wasn't really into soccer or football or any sort of team sports like that. I was kind of like the the, the the rocky kid in school, you know, where I would just go and run on a track for a few hours and then I started to build myself up through uh, weight training and I guess that's where I guess the the insecurity within myself started to manifest itself through sport so I started to build myself up because I was I guess bullied um, and and found I guess a lot of respite and a lot of um, you know sports like bodybuilding require a lot of discipline and that that's what i wanted that's what i wanted to do was to dedicate my life to something where i didn't have to wait for a whole bunch of teammates to turn up so then out of that i became a junior bodybuilder champion in scotland and you know i wanted to be a cop and a bodybuilder but then you know i, I think that some someone once said to me she says they said that you know i think you would be a good cop but I don't think the cop, the police force would be good for you. That I would make a good police officer, right. uh, but but it wouldn't be good for me uh, because, <laughs> you know, when I was younger and, and lifting weights and stuff, there was a lot, I guess, a lot of sort of frustration there with not being able to sort of solve problems and right. things like that. And, and angry. Yeah, a little bit angry, you know. And um, But then I was really, I found drama. I found, I found acting. And it was another. It was a way for me to build my confidence as well, and that's something that I've spoke a little bit about in the past and, and other interviews. That uh, I found a lot of release through being able to just stand up and just not. It's not about being like at the center of attention. It's about just exercising your demons. And acting was a very good thing for being able to do that. I'm not going to make this about me, but I understand completely because I had a similar experience. I, uh, right. I, I grew up in kind of a working class area, and we were very frustrated kids, uh-huh. and uh, we were kind of in trouble a little bit. We were drinking around, and I got, I got into bodybuilding too, actually. Really? And I'm actually, the weird thing is about it is, um, I've, I've kind of tried to like put that away, like almost hide the fact that I did that. Me too. Me yeah, too. Like, yeah. When I when I got into acting, it was more in my early mid twenties. I, I just wanted to shed it. I just wanted off. I wanted off of my body. I wanted uh-huh. just it wanted nothing to do yeah. with it because I wasn't taken seriously, and I wanted. I felt. I felt like um, that was your way of standing to, out. Yeah, yeah. Well, to be recognized in the same thing, in a quite a private way. Very private. The thing was, is I'm I'm actually a pretty internal shy guy actually myself I'm not I'm not a real extroverted guy and it was really a real personal thing where I it was a, it was just a lot of um, 
self-discovery, really. It was a lot of, it was the only, I, I had a shitload of anger that I didn't even know I had. Until I, <laughs> yeah. And then I, I was like, fuck, I'm a volcano, so I didn't know what yeah. to do with it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and exercise, any kind of exercise is really good for that. It is, but it's also the discipline. Yeah. That's what I want to talk to you about. Uh-huh. I'm fascinated about this is, I finaled, and before that I was actually in the military briefly. I was really lost. I had no fucking idea who I was, but there's a discipline that I love. There's something about discipline that I thrive on, and mm-hmm. it sounds like you do too. Yep. And it's, um, it, it, it just basically translated it in a non-healthy way at the time, actually. Uh, as it does. From that to the album or whatever. But, um, yeah, it's this discipline that, uh, I just love that. I admire that. So how, how is that? Can you talk a little bit about how that may have this discipline you had in sports and volleyball and how you may have applied that to your, to your art? Well, that's a, that's a really good question. I've never actually really thought about it. I think subconsciously, uh, like you were saying about the sport, it's it's this this drive to of personal development to sort of prove to yourself that you're worth something and and acting is a really good release for that because you play all these different characters but yet you don't have to go home to the problems so you're almost exercising all these demons you know I've I've played a cop two or three times instead of being a real cop (laughs) do you know no no and maybe you can you know slam a guy or something but you don't really hurt him no god no it's how you sell it baby it's how you sell that punch baby rock and roll so yeah, I mean, I think the other thing is as well, I've been in it, as I say, I've been an actor for 14 years. I think with age, um, you, you start to really start to cement your desires along with your internal passion and these things kind of they, they align themselves the older you get and it's just like I think one of the, the, the major sort of influence in the past in recent times was the death of my father that that was a difficult time for me and I'm sure a lot of guys or even women have experienced what it's like to grieve who are listening to this just now but that changed something in, within me that just made me realise that every moment counts and I, well, it was ten years ago, um, and it took about three or four years to get over it. But during that time, I was very angry, and I was at a loss because I was asking questions I would never get answers to. You know, you know, why could this? Why does this happen? The world surely has to change now. Surely things are going to get better. But um, I, what I decided to do was, I after about a year or two, was to try and find a way to channel it creatively. And that was a huge change within me because at that time I was writing short films and, and, and making short films, but I really wanted to make a feature film and act in this film. So that's exactly what I did. I, I wrote a script and, and made a movie which was about the process of grief and about anger and sadness and fear and guilt and love and all the things that you go through when you're, when you're grieving. And that was a big turnaround for me, um, creatively as an actor, writing a script that you're, you're going to be in. And it really gave me a focus, and it helped me, I guess, 
maybe use the term short circuit the grieving process, but it gave me a focus and a drive. And ever since then, I've just really strived to be as good as I can at what I do. Yeah, I just I kind of just left drama school at the time. Well, no, I, I don't. I think well, we, we can maybe skim on it later. I don't know how, how relevant it is, but it, it wasn't a bad relationship. It wasn't bad. Uh, People that get into acting a lot of times, they don't, and this isn't true for everybody, but a lot of very common thread is sometimes the family life isn't all that, that great, or it's broken, or maybe, you know, whatever the broken, and, and uh, it's not a requirement, obviously, but it happens a lot, and I'm just, I was just going to maybe ask about how, um, do you feel like, I mean, how do you feel about that? Do you feel like uh, it could be, like we were talking a little bit about when you were younger and feeling a little bit um, insecure or whatever out of control before you got into sports and you found your own way and kind of, do you feel like mm-hmm. things like this might fuel your art in any way, your, your, your creativity in any way? Or like I think, your background? Yeah, I think any... Well, I guess you know, my, my father was was more. He was really interested in soccer, and I wasn't interested in team sports. And I always hoped that he would show an interest in something. I was into bodybuilding, mm-hmm. so I had pictures of bodybuilders all over my bedroom wall, and not naked, you know, semi-naked women. The semi-naked men. He's like, <laughs> "What's wrong with my son? <laughs> What's going on here?" Who were they, by the way? Because I was pretty involved uh, in that stuff. Well, I was Lee Haney, no, okay. Dorian Yates, Dorian all these. Yeah, yeah. There was ne- is, never. Kind of yeah, I mean. The British bulldog. You're gonna check out his Twitter feed or his YouTube. He's he's talk about discipline. Oh. But anyway, that's another. Story. And he was he was almost like the underdog because he trained this. I think it was called the Temple Gym. Yeah. And in Birmingham or Sheffield yeah, or something like that. And he was like the underdog. He was training this sort of sweaty sweat box. Yeah. And Lee Haney always trained like the, the, like the, the proper. Like the kind of guy. Yeah, yeah. And and but you could just tell Dory. There was a, I always remember the photograph of Dorian Yates with his socks on and he's standing. Yeah, he's standing in his. He's, I, think, I don't think you think it was. Yeah, I don't even think it was a pair of boxer shorts. It was like a pair of briefs, and he's standing there like six weeks out from the Mister Olympia. Do you remember that that photograph? That that was that was me when I was a young guy, d- d- desperately wanting to be like that. You know, the other thing about him too, and I don't know if you can relate to this, that I fucking love. His nickname was the Shadow, and I I really really admired him. You don't always like that with him, but he. He always stayed covered up. He wasn't a show off uh-huh. at all. Uh-huh. He was very reserved, and he was all about he was all about the walk and not the talk. Yeah, he was all about. He would come, show up, blow everybody the fuck away, and disappear. And everybody, yeah, like, who, who, who was that? Who was, who's that guy? And he disappeared. He yeah, I lo- I've always loved even characters in movies like the underdog or the antihero. Some of the biggest influences on me as an actor when I was just starting out were Edward Norton's performance in American History X. Yeah. And you were telling me the other night that you were actually in, you were actually, you were originally in that movie. I'm like, well, let's talk about going full circle. Oh I come to LA, the first actor, director, producer. And it's me, I should be interviewing you. you you've got more strings. Yeah, I, I was basically a glorified actor, but I was there for about a week. And yeah, I was like 26. I was supposed to be a high school student. I was like 25 or 26. Yeah. And, uh, 
I was all excited because I was definitely in this thing all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. That, that movie was, was that movie came out when I was at drama school. But anyway, yeah. So, so Edward Norton. Well, who, who were some? Were there other movies or other influences that? Yeah, there was so so many. In your mind that because you didn't know for sure that you were going to do this until a little later. But were there guys looking back that you were like, like Edward Norton? For example? Edward Norton was the first major influence on me and, and modern cinema, and it was that movie yeah. because that movie came out just about the time that I started going to drama school. And we were just a bunch, it was like first year in drama school. I did three years of drama school. And all the other students were going, have you seen American History? It's just this black and white movie and it's color. You should see this performance by this actor. Uh, and then I'd, I'd watch it and it, I was just blown away by the performance. And we st I studied that performance for about three or four months. I watched, I watched it about two dozen nice. times with the volume down. What, what's he doing? And that was one of my monologues in drama school was to pick a piece of contemporary cinema, a monologue by an actor that you admired, and then do it your own way. Oh, wow. And then we would watch the performance afterwards as the way it was originally really? done. Yeah. And I was only first year, so I don't know how... <laughs> it was probably terrible. But that, I mean, I get that's the other thing is as well, that, that that's how I started to develop a really, really keen interest in American cinema and always wanted to work in America. In American and, cinema in particular. Yeah. I mean, because, I mean... I mean, I, I can think of, like... What was the what was the movie that Gary Oldman directed that first one? Oh, was that with with Ray Brent, Wee Winston? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of hardcore British. Is that Nil by Mouth. Yes, Nil by Mouth. Yeah. I mean, I guess I'm thinking more actors more than actually British cinema. But mm -hmm. I mean, well, Gary Oldman is is one of my favorite actors as well. Yeah. Gary Oldman, yeah. Robert De Niro is early one. The shit out of him yeah. And others. I used to do the same thing. I'd, I'd rent. Dating <laughs> a little bit, but I'd rent. You know, Blue Dust Tapes. I didn't even really watch the movies a lot of the time. I'd watch the guys that I was interested in studying. And yeah. Just, like, watch again and again. And I was the same. And Pulp Fiction was another movie around about that time that, that came out. That was huge. That yeah. was a huge one. Jackie Brown. I think it was Jackie Brown as well. Just movies like that. Tarantino. It was like, I, I want to be an actor. And that started. started yeah. yeah. Reservoir Dogs was actually speaking of right now. But yeah. For me. <laughs> like well, an assassin. <laughs> Yeah, I never wear a suit back home ever. <laughs> he's been really, really LA, you guys. All you guys back in uh, Scotland, he's been really LA. Over here. Um, but that for me, uh, that movie. What was one of the things when you were saying when you were younger? I had the exact same experience when I was a kid. Yeah. Uh, I was involved in theater and stuff, and then when I got into high school. That wasn't the cool thing to do anymore. That was like, you're not, that's not what a guy did. I mean, if you liked girls and you just wanted a normal life, <laughs> you didn't do that. Yeah, you yeah. You might play sports or some kind of do something. But so I, I kind of felt like I couldn't do that anymore. And then I got older and I ended up into my early 20s and I was still, and I was really unhappy, you know, and I had to figure out that I had to be really honest with myself and admit to myself that's really what I needed to do. Mm -hmm. But it was when I saw Reservoir Dogs. And I was, yeah. I think I was probably like about 21, 20 years old, something like that. And that was the one for me that made me just think, holy shit. It came along and it just blew everybody this. away. I can do this. I mean, these, these, I was like Michael Madison. These guys yeah. Like, yeah, I can, I guess I can do this. Yeah. I mean, I'm allowed to, you know, these, these are fucking wise guys. These are fucking yeah. badass Yeah, guys. yeah, yeah. So that was a big deal for me. There, I mean, there were some other ones earlier as a kid that blew my mind, uh, well, I've got a list as long as my arm, but yeah. we don't have time to yeah, talk yeah, about yeah, yeah. <laughs> it. But, yeah, but, but that 
Yeah, I think that's one of the things that, that I think we're both kind of getting around to talking about is the the anti-hero, the you know, a, a character from some kind of mysterious background who has very strong, you know, views of the world, who's maybe struggled and with her identity, and I was struggling with my identity, yeah. and I, I could associate, and that set me on the path to want to be an actor, is to play these underdogs and to play these kinds of characters and characters who struggle emotionally or with some kind of major hang-up um, who are really kind of broken and almost forgotten by society and, and that was you know it's like when you read a book that you really can relate to you pick it up and you go this book was written for me yes. that's how I felt about the movies I was watching and the roles that I wanted to play that's the role I want to play That that's the character I want to be these are the movies I want to do and that kind of set me off on the path of choosing acting for the rest of my life. I'm curious about that. What do you think that is exactly? Like, what is it? Why it's, do you think you want to tell that? Or what is it that you need to... Why do you think you want to express that? I think it all comes... I really... I think, it, honestly, it all just comes down to uh, human nature. And it comes down to expressing yourself and a voice being heard. And um, Because if you're alone or you're... You, as I say, before you were struggling with your identity or... You were bullied, or I mean, every young guy has some kind of hang-up, and you're looking for someone to understand, and to someone a voice, your voice to be heard, and uh, yeah, I, I, and that's for acting. That was for me the 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 linchpin. That was the time that I decided that right, okay, I have a lot to say. I have a lot of angst. I have a lot of happiness. I have a lot of love. Yeah. But there was really not an outlet for it. So acting for me was a way of exercising. And, and you know, because, as I was saying before, you, you get the chance to be a million different, if you're fortunate enough to get a million different roles, but you get the chance to be all these different characters, but not have to go to home with their problems. And you're almost exercising all these things about all the hang-ups that you have through your characters. And then you feel as if you've you've dealt with it then you can move on and then you can move on to different roles and different things and it's a it's, it's a very cathartic thing uh, uh, acting is a very cathartic career um and when you when i wasn't working i started to make my own short films and that was something that when i because i've always had this kind of creative drive um and it really started to this is even before you when you were looking at being a cop and back, even back yeah, there was there was always something. I mean, I I was I used to work as a security guard, yeah. and I used to remember writing on the back of the the duty sheet where you punch in and all like little lines of dialogue or little like little scenes and things like that or, or conversations that I would that I would like to have as a character in a movie that was never going to be written, and that's how I filled up these twelve hour night shifts, and then that progressed when I went to drama school because there was no acting for camera, there was no. Uh, there was none of that kind of thing. It was all theatre, it was all voice and movement, which was fantastic, a great foundation. But a screen actor is what I really wanted to be. So what I, what I did was I started to... I bought myself a video camera and started to shoot improvisational scenes with my actors in drama school. And then I bought a computer and, and, and started to edit these little scenes to get as many DV. And I started to make little short films. And the, the, 
I guess the first full completed short film I made made it to the Sundance Film Festival in 2004. Okay. It's fucking crazy. <laughs> it's, it, that's like they. I don't know how many they get. I think it's like some cr- like thirty thousand. Yeah, that's some crazy amount. Like every. It's insane. And it was actually it was Kevin Spacey's Trigger Street competition. Oh so with thousands, so there was like ten finalists that were narrowed down from about eighty thousand films right. at that time. And we're still using dial-up at the time. Broadband wasn't even in as an end. So you'd upload the movie onto the website, then you'd count on people watching it and getting reviews. Uh, and then the movie, I guess it struck a chord with people and end up playing at the Sundance Film Festival. What was that called? It was called Reflections of a Life. Was that um, it's on Vimeo. It's on my Vimeo. I'll send you. I'll, you can leave the link. But then I, then I started to make more short films, and then uh, I... I wrote them, but I got someone else to direct them. Mm-hmm. But then I would play the role, right. and then scene. Uh, scene. scene. Yeah, that that was uh, kind of guess the the, the the kind of biggest one that I did earlier on because that that did quite well in the festivals, and then I. I'd, I'd, Really, and I don't say this very often about anybody. I really don't. I'm putting, I'm kind of a hard ass judge on this, but yeah, I mean, you are really fucking good. Really good. I'm, 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 I'm really, you're not fair about it. Well, I'm curious uh, a little more about that, about your training, and um, about if you had any sort of during your training, like any moments that were like big, like holy shit, personal moments, like that you had, or, or, or maybe about any mentors that you may have had, or certain teachers that have been a big influence on you. Um, there is, there is my mentor who has been with me, who gave me my first uh, screen role, is May Miles Thomas, who is like, she's a phenomenal, multi-BAFTA award-winning auteur, and I was in her second feature film, and I met her shortly after we did Reflections of a Life, and she's been a major influence on me uh, as an actor and as a writer and as a developing uh, artist. But she just the way that she sees the world, the way that she knows the business, she knows films, she knows story, she knows structure, her way of directing actors. Actually, scene was actually influenced by her directing methods really? on set of her first movie. Uh, the way that she directed an actor into a better performance by actually making him feel incompetent, but just at that point where he wasn't insulting him. And I was like, do you know what? That's, I, I, because at that time, I remember... Judith Weston as well. I don't know. Yeah, Judith, she was an enormous influence because. Okay. She she was a major influence, and I just came across her books because I, I wanted to understand what it's like to how an actor can better their performance with a director, right. and to get very short, um, not resu- non-result uh, orientated direction. Uh-huh and to use active verbs and things. And I picked up her book. And it helped me enormously as an actor, but also as an actor to help me better understand director's language and how you can get a better performance just by using action verbs. And it's very intuitive. And that married with May's disciplines and teachings as my mentor, as a filmmaker, has, I guess, really has really helped me and shaped me as well. Does that mean you have an interest in walking yourself? Or, or yes, I do, I do, yeah. Do you have any plans for that? Or I, I, well, in your back pocket? yeah, I mean, going to see how things go with the acting because things are quite busy right now, but I, I do have more ambitions to direct. There is a project that I'm 
hoping to put together this year, which will be me acting and directing in. Uh, I, I don't want to say too much about it just now because it's very early stages, but we're working on a script. And uh, yeah, maybe by the summer or maybe by late summer we might have be going to camera. Well, I it all comes back to the work, really. To be honest with you, um, whether it's work on a character, or it's work on a script as an actor, or as a developing writer. Um, project like one example a couple of years ago I, I did a movie called Outpost Rise of the Spetsnaz which was the third in a series of subgenre Nazi zombie movies and I got a role as like I got the played the main role of Dolokhov who is a Russian special forces soldier and when I read this when I got the opportunity to play the part and I read the script I was like this guy's a killing machine there's no way in my current physical state that I can actually play that part convincingly so I started a four-month diet and training regime and put on 45 pounds to play that role. I mean, that's an example of how, yeah. I guess, discipline and living your life day-to-day. Yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of actors do it. You know, I mean, Christian Bale was the real advocate of that. You know, a lot of actors have put weight on for roles. Matthew McConaughey, lose weight, you know, things like that. And it's, it's kind of, it's not as, it's very common now. That, that actors will dedicate themselves, and I think it depends on, on what the role requires. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yep. Drama school. Yeah, I started to. Okay. Okay. Um. I immediately started working in the theatre. I toured with a play. Uh, I don't know if any of the listeners are familiar with Harold Pinter, his classic British playwright. And I toured with a play called The Birthday Party and I played the role of McCann. And it was the... We went on tour for that for about three or four months. And fabulous production, really well cast. Oh, no, no, mainly around Scotland. And I think we went to some of those a little bit into England as well. But then, I guess I was, I was just really drawn to getting back and making making short films because it was, I was actually still at drama school when we'd made Reflections of a Life. And it was only a year or two out when Scene won the BAFTA, won me my first BAFTA Scotland Award. And then made Running in Traffic, which is the feature film. But I think the biggest thing for me was I was an actor making short films and one feature film and then started to attend these film festivals and meet other filmmakers and I remember a relationship developing slowly over a six year period with a Canadian filmmaker called Ayaz Warwick very talented Canadian filmmaker we actually met at Sundance you know, ten years ago now uh, twelve years ago now and we, we kept in touch and I was actually there not as an actor, but as a director of a short film that actually had to cut my own performance out 
to get into Sundance because the film was too long. Yeah, the film was too long for the 10 minute. I cut, yeah, I was the only, I, I didn't play the main character, I was a supporting character, and it, it was totally fine to do that. Well, no, I, I don't, well, I hear what you're saying, but all about the story, and it was the only character that you really could cut. Um, because the whole thing's sort of set and it's bookended with a present moment. The film starts in present moment, goes back to the past, and then comes goes back to the present moment again. So it's, the whole film's almost a flashback, and I was one of the flashback characters. So I was quite happy to, to uh, you know, I've never been protective of my own of my own work. You know, I, I've always tried to just honour the story and the script and whatever it takes to make something happen and, and get something complete and finished people will find entertaining i've always been i've always been about that but anyway what what happened was during, at that film festival i met ayaz and judd and they became came quite good friends at the film festival and it was a few years and we hadn't seen each other much but then i came out to la five years later and i was out here for pilot season and i didn't get a job i didn't get anything i just made running in traffic which was a, a little bit of a caused a little bit of a ripple in the uk film festivals and it, no I'd, I'd been previously I made a movie out here uh, previously to that um, but anyway yeah nobody knows no, nobody knows who you are and that was the case with running in traffic it, it, it was at film festivals and some American agents got to see it and they said, if you're ever in LA, give us a call. So the next year I was like, okay, I'll save all my money. Sold all my camera equipment, came out to LA, thought I'm going to go here for pilot season and I'm going to get a job. It didn't happen. And then I thought, well, I'm either going to go back home and broke or I'm going to go to Canada and see Ayaz. And he says, well, you know, actually, this, you've actually got in touch with us at a really good time. Why don't you come up? Because we'd like to talk to you about potentially working with you. I was like, okay. So this guy had only known me as a director at the film festival. That was the last time we met, but I'd slowly been building, making shorts and indie features and, and acting in other people's projects. And he said, you know, there's, there's a role in a movie that we're putting together. I'm not directing, he said, but we've got a director. We're going to produce this movie on a very, very small budget. It's like ten or 15,000 Canadian dollars, but it's, um, we'd like you to meet the director. His name's Neil Mackay. And the film's called, at the time it was called Skeleton Lake. It was an action genre movie about six bank robbers who rob this bank and one of them pulls a gun on a cop and they end up on the run. But then their their flight out is, well, there's been an APB sent out all over the US for these guys in the state of Michigan. So they have to lay low in the forest and then there's this Vietnam veteran that basically hunts them down. And I thought, you know, I've always wanted to, to do play in American in, in American movies. I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it for free. I'll pay to do it. So he says, well, we don't start shooting for another four weeks. If you want to go back home and do whatever you've got to do and then come back. So that's exactly what I did. Went back to Scotland, came out, shot Battleground in 2010. And that was my first lead role in an American indie movie. As an American, playing an American character, Neil wanted me to play a Scot in it. Neil Mackay says, "Oh, I'd love you to play uh, a Scottish accent. You got to do your own accent. This man would be really cool, really cool." I was like, "No, I want to do it in a Scottish accent. It's like American accent." 
okay, well, if that's the thing that's going to seal the deal for you and I, because I really want you in this movie, that'd be great. So I ended up playing an American. Uh, no, well, I, 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 I'm still working on it. But um, so that was my... And that, that movie opened the door for Outpost that we were talking about previously because back home in Scotland, there's a very small community of producers and directors and they do quite a wide variety of different films. Uh, and Kieran Parker and Arabella who is his producing partner, his wife, were putting together the third film in the Outpost series. And Kieran had seen, I'd originally auditioned for the second one, but didn't get the part. And then he saw Battleground, at that time it was known as Skeleton Lake, it was released as Battleground. He got to see it and said, I'd like you to play, I remember you from the audition, I'd like you to play the lead part in the third one in the series. And then from there, I started to work quite extensively in independent uh, Scottish feature films. Um, then there was Let Us Pray and there was a lot of TV uh, work. That, it's, it's okay. I don't, I don't know if you can hear it on these mics. But uh, it started, I, I, things started to pick up a little bit. Uh, mainly in the UK. Uh, TV, guest appearances in TV, recurring characters in, in well-known British TV shows. So, so I was working um, but then things had dried up about 18 months ago and almost I couldn't even afford to get to additions. And I thought, well, why after all this time when I'm slowly been building momentum, would things suddenly stop? And they, they did it, as they do for actors. It was a dry spell and I had a lot of good work behind me. I, was, I did Outlander, I did a guest uh, lead on some BBC shows. I'd done Let Us Pray with Liam Cunningham. And then uh, things just dried up. And things things just stopped, and, and it just did. And I thought, well, what I'm going to have to do? I'm going to have to go back and get a bar job. And so I got a bar job. Couldn't afford to go to London because then I was living in Scotland. And uh, I found myself like on the verge of being extinct, and uh, without I couldn't even afford to pay my rent. And uh, not a lot of people know. Not a lot of people know this about me. But was uh, was homeless for or for a few weeks, and I, I didn't. I maxed out all my favors with friends, and I'd slept on all the couches that I, I could afford to, to sleep on, and without tarnishing relationships too much, and just very privately, I just I dealt with it, and I managed to get back on top. And then I, there was an opportunity to. It was just over a year ago now. To. Because I did a lot of self-tapes. Because I, I bought a small video camera again. I got some of my, my equipment back. So I was able to still practice acting and still stay, keep a hand in. So yeah, yeah, I was still doing self-tapes. When the gutter, yeah, I was still practicing self-tapes, still keeping a hand in. Because it's not like learning to ride a bike, being an actor. I think you can lose your edge. You, you can lose the instinct. You There's a, there's a sharpness, there's, there's an alertness, there's an energy that you can lose if you're not constantly acting. And, and yeah, uh huh. And I think that's one of the very important things as well. You can't let your skin, and as Al Pacino had said in a recent interview, I thought was fantastic. You cannot let your skin become too thick. You still have to be open. That no matter how bad the world around you gets, you can't let it eat away at your soul. You've got to use that to to feed your soul. These moments. Um, Mm-hmm. So, we're having a fresh conversation here. So, like, when you 
you know, the fact that you're in that situation says a lot about you and about that and a lot about how much you're the real deal. You know, someone who is just doing it for the wrong reasons, which in my opinion are just, you know, for a validation or to get a pension or whatever, people, you know, the other reasons. But for me personally, it doesn't really, it does nothing more. For you to have been in that situation, yeah. Yeah, and I just, I just, oh well. Thanks for giving me the the outlet too. Yeah. 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 You know, I, 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 no, well, th- thanks for giving me the, the opportunity to. Uh, I think it really just comes down to if you want to be, if you're going to be an actor, you have to, it has, you have to have the need. You need to do this. You need to, you need that outlet. And, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I really, there were some really dark days. I didn't have any work. I, I mean, I, <laughs> I had nothing really, pretty pretty close to being nothing at all, and but I fought back, and an opportunity came up to submit a self tape because I couldn't afford to go to London to Pinewood Studios to do the audition for London Has Fallen. No, I bet. Well, no, I I do video editing and stuff, and I, I compiled what I the best of my work. At the scene, the BAFTA winning short. I, I try to look different in everything I do. I don't try and repeat the gesture. Uh, and it's that whole thing with actors. You, you want to be seen. You, you don't want to be typecast. But I think if there's a difference between being typecast and niched, it's a very different. There's a huge difference between being typecast and niching yourself because you can start to diversify a little bit within a niche. When you're typecast, a lot of actors find, oh well, he just plays action guys, or he just plays guys who cry he just plays the, the the freaky friend or whatever it is or the, the the comic relief and i thought fuck it yeah i'm just going to do the best work i can with the work that comes up and try and find a way to put my own slant on it like instead of making a character two-dimensional and tough try and give him a scene that is a little shows a little bit of vulnerability and lets you in a little bit and i put together a showreel of the best of the work that i had to offer and i sent it out to all the casting directors and i you know, I have this thing now where until someone slams a door in your face and tells you to fuck off, just keep pushing, sending emails, sending handwritten letters, asking for letters of recommendation from people and compiling a package and, and getting it out there. And that's what I did. And somebody saw it and somebody listened and then things started to pick up. And I'd, I got a self-tape for, for London Has Fallen. There was two parts. And I ended up getting the invited down to Pinewood to meet the casting director, Elaine Granger, and and Babak Najafi, who is the director. And almost, I mean, when I think, there was originally maybe about four different directors who were going to direct London Has Fallen, and Babak came in quite late in the day. And he ended up directing. And they all, they had to split the shoot in half. They did some of it in 2014, and then they picked up in 2015. I think because uh, Gerard had to go away and do Geostorm and other movies and things, and this this role came up. Gerard Butler, Gerard Butler yeah, uh, who's also a fellow Scottish actor, 
who hasn't had it easy. But um, yeah, so I got the opportunity to audition, went in and had a really good meeting with with Babak. And it was it was more of a I guess a meeting than it was an audition. Yeah, I was like, yeah, and it was very refreshing. He, I've got I've got to say, for his first Hollywood movie, there's such artistry in this movie. And in, in London has fallen. There's sequences in there that are just there's an artist at work there. It's not just schlocky action, firing guns, angry guys, cheesy one-liners. There's some real finesse. There's seamless cuts and there's a huge big two minute gunfight through the streets of Soho where Gerard Butler and myself are running up the street and you know blowing bad guys away so you, <laughs> you know yeah it was yes yes a week ago now yeah it's a week ago now. yes well, I'd only seen my scenes in, in ADR yeah, um, but anyway, th- that time, talking a little bit about uh, getting the role. Anyway, I'd auditioned for it. I'd had to borrow money to get down to London to audition, and I didn't hear anything for about two or three weeks, and I thought, well, normally you hear maybe a week, ten days, two weeks, then you don't hear anything. So I'm pestering my agent. Like, have you heard, have you, have you heard anything at all? Have you have no, no feedback? Have there something? Look, look, uh, no. Yeah, I believe you're still in the mix, or like, look, Brian, you know, just just forget about it. Just you need to just learn to go into the the audition, do the best you can, and leave. And there's a lot of validity. There's a lot of good reason for that, um, because if you're just an actor waiting on that phone to ring, you know, you, you're going to go crazy. And Brian Cranston talks about this, which has been a big big change for me, is that your job as an actor is to audition, audition. Yeah, your job is to audition, prepare the best you can, offer your own interpretation of that character and the time that you've got and leave. Because some, it's somebody else's decision to give you the job. You know, it may be down to politics or who's got a better agent, there's some influence. Then I thought, well, what, you know, but to even get an audition for a role for a Hollywood movie after 14 years as an actor and not actually getting a break, I thought it was never going to happen. You know? But, I got a phone no I wasn't stopping and then I went no you, you have to just keep going and never give up and there's some times where I thought that I might have to not because I wanted to but because I couldn't afford to live yeah and how do you when you've got no money no, no resources how can you afford to audition and be on top and when you're not working you've still got to stay positive and walk into that room and own it and then leave and forget you were even there in the first place which is it's getting a bit easier for me now um but anyway, so I start, I went back to the theatre last year and it was the first play that I'd done in 10 years and it was a, a Scottish play um, and the genre, it was called The Ringer by Tory Black who is a Scottish crime writer. He writes in the, what they call Tartan Noir. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll not go into too much about the genre but it was a fantastic, it's a very gritty Glaswegian Scottish story and a kind of... Yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, the smoking gun, the femme fatale. They've got all those kind of characters, and they're in a west of coast of Scotland setting. It's very, very rough and brutal and dark and funny. Yeah, you can actually see the play online. I'll give you the link for that as well. Yeah, so so that play, we, we we're doing the play, and then that's when I got the call for London has fallen. We were and well, 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 it was actually it was opening night, and I got a call from the agent saying. 
I was actually in the car with my friend Darren at the time on the way to opening night, and uh, I, I got so it wasn't even a call. It was an it was an email from my agent. Uh, Congratulations, you've got the role. Your your booked production will be oh my god. I was I actually had a little cry to myself when I but I didn't want to cry in front of my friend. But I called my mom and I says look I've got there. She's like oh my god you got there. I was like yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't even remember. Yeah, but that's not the performance that was filmed. It was the second night that we were actually got. But I can't remember. It was just a bit of a blur. But I know where I was when I got that email in, and I was just like, "Oh my god!" It's like passing your driving test. You know, the first time you pass your driving test, or you, you know, you get a date with a girl. You really, it's like that. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. And you know, some of my friends have said, you know, you, you work hard, you deserve it, and that's. But the thing is, hard work doesn't always amount to success, and there's no such thing as, you know, I think when when it comes to things like sports, there's a very clear, like when it comes to being chosen for a role, it's not because, you know, yeah, it's not a clear path. It's like athletics. If you run the fastest, you win the race. You you'll get the medal. It's not like that with when it comes to acting. It's all been, no, it is unfair. It is. Yeah, but it's nice when when you've worked so hard and you've been kind of from where I'm from, growing up to the struggle, and it's it's kind of like the icing on the cake, really. Uh, so, you know, um, it happens. It happens if you just really just stick with it. And so, anyway, fast forward two months and. We're in Bulgaria, at New Boyana Film Studios, and that that was just incredible. My first experience of a Hollywood movie was just incredible. It was great. I've just not just the way that you're treated, but the work ethic, the the way people are, the professionalism. Everyone's just really oh, absolutely. I had such an amazing time on that shoot um, with Gerard, and I'm a yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, he didn't have to, but. He, he's a humble Scot who has worked hard as well. I have so much admiration for him as a, as a human being as I got to know him very well on that shoot. And every opportunity there was to, I guess, I mean, he could see that I really wanted to do a good job. And he said to me, he says, I, I really want this to be a good, because he's producing the movie as well. And he said, you know, I really want this to be a good movie. And it wasn't a particularly good start, my first introduction, my first scene with him. He did actually there'd been a bit of a complication with some fake glass there's a a stunt in a car where the car ends up upside down and he had some fake glass in his eye and he was just he didn't say anything he didn't get upset about it he didn't make a scene he just quietly called the doctor over and they dealt with it but I could we were pushed back in time and the schedule was running over and I could see he was a bit pissed and I I don't know what to say to him I'm going to have to do a scene with him and rehearse a scene with him right now and I said is everything alright is there anything I can do he's just like I'm just I just want this to work. I just want this to be a good movie and I want you to be good in this movie, Brian. And I was like, well, listen, you know, just, you've got me. I'm here to work for you. This is your movie. I'll do whatever it takes. Take it out on me. And I think you could see that it meant a lot to me being there and working with him. And he just, every opportunity there was to build on my part or with Babic's direction and just... I mean, originally I was supposed to be playing this character as a posh English guy because a lot of these guys went to private school, the, the SAS. And it was originally maybe just even quite a small part. There was like four or five scenes, but the, every opportunity there was 
to build on the scene, make the scene bigger, more authentic, more raw, Gerard was like, what do, what do you think? Do you think it's working the way? It, uh, it yeah, it, it, and I would say, well, this is, well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to do this. You do that. I think we, we change this and we mix this up a little bit and maybe you come in a bit later on that, drop that line. What do you think? Any suggestions? And Babic would be right there, you know, is the, the, the stitching and weaving it all together. And yeah, but but you know, it what it was a fantastic relationship, um, creative. Everybody pulling in the same direction, you know. Yeah, yeah. The synergy. Yeah. Just about three weeks. Yeah. It was it was all night shoots for me. All night shoots because of the story and when the SAS come in at night. Yeah. Um, they can be. They can. They can feel longer if you're not enjoying yourself as well. Yeah. Not every night. No, they did spread it out. Uh, there was a lot of studio stuff as well at New Boyana. There were we didn't shoot chronologically. We, we shot some of my stuff chronologically. Then there was a gap and we went back. So, but anyway, the, the, the part ended up being bigger than than what I thought it was going to be. And and yeah, and just but the thing is, you know, he he's he's got he's he's going to be a great I think if he was ever to become a director he has such a keen eye he knows story and he knows beats and movie beats and story points and performance and ebbs and flows and this is the quiet moment before the storm and this this and I you know I, I would even he would say well, what do you think do you think this gunfight should already be happening when we're having this dialogue or do you think it's better that we wait and Babbitt would say, no, um, what, what, I think that this is the calm before the storm moment. Then we got into the gunfight. And he would say, right, okay. And if we, yeah, and he would always be there. He's, he would, he's going to be an incredible director. I think if Gerard ever directs, he will make a very good movie. No, no, I don't think he, I think it's the furthest from his mind right now. It's just my perception of him as, as, as an actor and a producer, as a filmmaker. Um, yeah, an incredible guy to be around. He just, he just kind of empowers everybody around him. Yeah. And do you think so? I, I really do. I really do. Well, as we don't really know each other that well, but if you've you've made that assumption, well, I just care about the work. It's about the work. That's what, that's what yeah. That. If the camera doesn't get it, it doesn't matter, and it's about nurturing relationships. I think you know you, you have to do very little for an actor to make them get them best. I mean, good actors, actors who care about the work, will never sacrifice their performance. They'll never sacrifice their character, and that's a very important. That's what Gerard's all about. He doesn't want anything sacrificed. He wants everyone to be, you know, to meet him at his level as an actor with the energy and all that because. You know, you could get very selfish actors who are trying to steal screen time and stuff like that, but he's he's not like that. Actors like that, this is important, I think. Actors like that give actors in general a really bad rap because yeah. actors that are good, they, all, they usually do tend to be very generous. Mm-hmm. They don't give a shit about, about the spotlight on them. They want it to be mm-hmm. it's about the story, it's about, you know, that's what yeah. it is. And often, oftentimes they, they can be kind of shy, like you are. They're, they're, it's not... 
Not all the best actors are the nicest people. You know. Yeah. But I mean, it's not about. It's not necessarily about. No. I think that shows as well. You know, I, I think chemistry is something a word that's banded. Oh, they have really good chemistry, a really good chemistry. But I think that comes from the relationship, the direction, the script, the story. But it also comes about. It comes from the top. It comes from the people in positions of power who who care about people. They don't care about ego. They care about nurturing. Real- to get someone at their best, to make to get someone at their best, you have to invest in people, and it takes very little to do that. You just need to treat, to, to explain to people what it is that you want, and I think that passion. This is one thing that has kind of maybe people sort of have. Uh, Mistaken about me over the years is that they, they they misinterpret my passion for being slightly overbearing or maybe a little bit desperate because I'm I'm quite passionate about when I explain what I'm talking about. People can get not they can be a bit funny around people who who vocalise how they feel. They're like, well, what, you know, why? What makes you this way? But you know, I just, there's, there's value in art and there's value in expression, self-expression and even more so when there's a lot of people around and they're all working towards the same thing because they, they just treat you like you matter. You, your opinion matters to me. I care. I want this movie to be good. And Babak's whole temperament and, and the, the way that he, the way that he structured the, the, uh, the, the dialogue along with how he wants his cuts and he's very good at explaining visually what he wants uh, very briefly and, and explaining giving you a brief summary of why he's trying to do this and what matters and where the camera's going to be and then someone steps back and kind of with this childlike expression like what, what do you think and that's your opportunity to say yes can I make it? yeah and then boom he's away then he's then, then he just watches um, yeah where, where were we sort of went off on a bit of a tangent there yeah yeah. 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 It was a great synergy. It was a really, really, really great synergy. Yep. I saw we at the premiere at the ArcLight Cinerama Dome. Beautiful cinema. Well, wait, wait, I don't know the capacity. It must be close to seven, eight hundred, maybe somewhere around that. And the beautiful big curved screen. Yeah, and the, it was just fantastic. It was. It's a real. It's a fun movie. It was a full packed house. Everybody was there. Um, and yeah. Yeah. Shit. I know if I don't cringe, then it's not that bad. Yeah. <laughs> I've kind of got over my god. Look at the size of my nose. Oh, there's ears really that big. Oh my god, I've got so many fr- Oh my, I, I can't look at my. I've got this. This is the way I am. This is I have to. Yet, as soon as you accept that, that, that what you look like, it's half the battle. You know, the rest is just 
trying to just deliver the lines without sounding too cheesy or just mix it up a little bit, you know, be free with it, don't take it. Um, but no, the, the, the huge thing for me, I mean, I grew up watching movies like, was, was a lot younger than before I went to drama school, was um, Shawshank Redemption. The Rocky movies were a huge influence on me as well. So when Morgan Freeman, even, and um, yeah, he was there, yeah, uh, yeah, and Dolph Lundgren. He was there. These guys were there. Yeah, Dolph Lundgren was there. Yeah, yeah. I must break you. He he was there. So when he grew up watching movies with like with these guys, and all of a sudden you find yourself in Hollywood at a movie premiere that you're in, and these guys are along in the same cinema as you watching you in a movie. It's got like what the hell? Um, I've never been one for for kind of doing all that. Yeah, I just kind of roll with it. I'm just I'm just grateful to be working at this level. I'm just grateful to be, I guess, even to be considered worthy to be credited along with actors that I admire, and it's validating. It can it does does not in any way going to my head it's like well thank uh, thank god I feel relieved you know um, because you know every actor go am I good enough am I, what, what kind of what kind of roles am I going to be right for but then you find yourself in a movie with, with actors that you admire and you're standing backstage with them and then you're 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 shooting the shit with Robert Forrester about you know family tree and about what, what's life like in Scotland I'm like what that's you know you were in one of the most influential movies of my made me want to be an actor you know Jackie Brown you saw Jackie I'm like what yeah you saw Jackie Brown you've seen Jackie yeah it's almost like he was surprised that I actually even knew who he was I, I know and it's someone like but very humble and just lovely to, and a magnificent actor a magnificent actor what a lovely cast what a lovely cast Um, you know, I, I think this is one of the this is the point in the conversation where, you, where or, or the interview where you say, well, what what you want to do is very different from what you what you can do and what will be available to you. Um, well, I'm going to direct this movie. I'm going to direct this. Um, there is the potential that there's a there's another big movie coming along. I. I can't say anything about it just now. Uh, I wish I could, but I can't. So, yeah, maybe. But um, I'm just happy to be out here in LA and just meeting some great people like yourself and no bullshit. Yep, just soaking it all up and living the dream as long as I can because, you know, it could all be over tomorrow. We never know. But I'm grateful that I've had the chance to be here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I don't. I have a website. I have a website. Which I mean, I don't know what you're going to post links on your website yet. I've got. I've got a website that's too long and an address to rhyme it off. People would never get. get but um, I'm on Vimeo. It's Brian Larkin. Brian with a Y. Larkin. They're seen. L A R K I N. There's a few short films on there. There's some collaborations with Carter Ferguson who is a Scottish director and he's a fight choreographer, fight director. He's a very good friend of mine. I've known him years. And a BAFTA-winning filmmaker as well. We've made a couple of movies together. He's directed and I've been in and I've shot a couple, some movies that he's directed. And 
Uh, so that's Dead Drop. Look out for a film called Dead Drop. There's a short film called Scene, S-C-E-N-E, full stop. Uh, also Reflections of a Life. There's also a little comedy short on there called Parkarma, like Karma in the Park. It's about three different couples at different stages in their relationship, all arguing with each other. <laughs> so that's fun. That's out there as well. I say Reflections of a Life's on the Vimeo, but I'll give you the link. Um, and also the Ringer play, I can give you the link for that as well. It's direct, it was directed by Pete Martin. Okay. And that's out there as well. So if you want to sit through 90 minutes of theatre on Vimeo, <laughs> be my guest. <laughs> I think we're going to wrap it up. Okay. Well, Thank so much. well thanks, thanks to you, Cam. I wish you all the best of future podcasts. It's been a pleasure. So that was it. That was Brian Larkin. I actually really enjoyed our talk. It was a really good conversation. And um, I hope you did too. And if you did, if you could take just a second to go to iTunes and rate Triumph of Disaster, give some ratings and reviews, it would really help. Help to keep this thing going. And we'll see you next time.